This is episode 280 for January 2014. All right, time to tackle message board questions. We start off with Jolly Jovial Jonas. He's located in the Justice League Watchtower, and uh, he says, How different do you think Peter's life would be if Aunt May died instead of Uncle Ben? Now, wasn't there a what-if issue about this? Yeah, yep. Ed Brubaker wrote what this if? as a what-if. Well, so did uh, Ron Friends. He penciled it back in the 80s. Oh. What if pretty sad? I never read it. Well, there was a there was it, an early 2000s one by, by Brubaker, too, that was yeah, decent. So what what would it be like? What would, How would his life be different? Everyone would die. Uh, honestly, like, this is going to sound horrible, but I think his life would have been a lot more relaxed because he wouldn't have been <laughs> always working about his Uncle Ben's fragile heart and, oh, my God. If Uncle Ben <laughs> it might get into a state of shock. Like, it, um, he, prob- he probably wouldn't have wound up almost married to Dr. Octopus unless Uncle Ben, you know, was really into experimentation, as was Otto Octavius. But I, 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 I truly think that, like, um, Uncle Ben was a more, at least retroactively, you know, in the flashback and stuff, a more dominant parent, where I suppose Peter had to become an adult really quickly. So it would have changed the whole, whole dynamic of his teenage years. Bertone, you just got auto-tuned. It would <laughs> that was absolutely hysterical. <laughs> Skype cut out right it's at like, the moment. It's not like you blew up. <laughs> I know, it's not like you blew up. Wait, 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 what? No, we, heard, uh, we heard almost everything you said. It's just at some point Skype made you go something like, no. No, 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 no. <laughs> it was absolutely hysterical. Okay. Oh, as, as, long, as long as you heard what I said. Yeah, you, you said it, but man, that was absolutely hysterical. Lockdown. One perfect point. <laughs> I mean, that, that if it had to go out right at the moment, that was perfect. Lockdown from Illinois, Ryan Reed. Happy New Year's, everyone. You too, sir. My question is, what team do you think Flash Thompson will work better on in 2014, the Guardians of the Galaxy or the Thunderbolts? Thunderbolts seems more for speed. The Guardians of the Galaxy is like, isn't that a cosmic Green Lantern-esque group of heroes? Yeah, but it depends on how well Bendis does Planet of the Symbiotes 2, which I think we all know is coming. <laughs> it's coming. I mean, I just... Are the Thunderbolts moving into space with uh, Venom, or is he probably not really going to be on that team for long? Well, I don't know. I mean, we've uh, submission. I don't, I don't know what's happening with the Thunderbolts because we've got Johnny Blaze Ghost Rider solicited as part of it. Past the time that a new Ghost Rider is appearing in his own book, so it, it seems like a book full of people that shouldn't be there. Thunderbolts mm. has proved, but uh, still, it's it's an odd book. It's an odd book. Uh, Zipline from more at home with the Punisher and Elektra than he is Rocket Raccoon. I don't know. I don't know. They both got big guns. <laughs> Zipline, Purgatory, uh, one question per month. Yes, sir, that's the new format. Uh, if Spider-Man moved around firing a web line from his back, like he did wearing the symbiote in the 90s cartoon, would anyone be cool with him texting and web-slinging? Why or why not? Lol. No, because uh, texting and web-slinging would have him crash into the middle of a window in the building, or a bathroom, or a women's dressing locker room. And it would be very embarrassing, and the entire issue would be lacking of action and just embarrassing moments, and we'd all give it Fs. 
So, so really, he was firing web lines from his back? No, the, the back of his hand, like a like a like the where the nuts oh. are. See the way it the does way actually say it. from his back. From his back. <laughs> I, was yeah, I don't think he ever did that in the back. 90s cartoon. <laughs> I don't think he did that either, but... Well, yeah. There was an issue um, during Brand New Day. It was, I think, Amazing Spider-Man Extra, where he takes a cell phone call while he's fighting a villain, and the villain yells at him, Seriously? You're using your cell phone while we're battling? Yeah. yeah that was the kind of highbrow humor you got from Brand New Day. C.M. Timpson? C.M. Timpson. C.M. Timpson. Okay, there you go, from New York. So uh, it's now official that the Star Wars comic book license is moving to Marvel in 2015. What Star Wars character would Spider-Man be if he were in one of the films, Luke or Jar Jar? Josh. Would would Spider-Man be the young hero whose uncle raised him and died brutally and who then wound (laughs) up, like, becoming the hero of the galaxy? Or would he be the comic relief, you know, reptile, who wound up voting the Emperor into power? (laughs) <laughs> I go Chewbacca. No, just kidding. Wait, okay. wait, 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 wait. When, when did he do that? Like, uh, that's hilarious. I think, the answer's, I think the answer's obvious on that one. Yeah. Uh, real, real quick, Bertoni, thoughts on Star Wars going to Marvel? Um, Mixed. Very, very excited because, yeah. oh, my God, Marvel and Star Wars together again. Sad for Dark Horse and worried about the future because Dark Horse did a good job, and I think that they kind of got the shaft. Because Marvel, you know, gave up Star Wars when it wasn't cool for them anymore. Yeah. Any Marvel writers instantly you think would write good Star Wars? Dan Slott, maybe? Yeah. No. Dan Gunther Slott. Yeah, I, I can't wait to read uh, <laughs> his version. of Maybe Peter David. Oh, my God. Now I'm excited. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Peter David could write the phone book, and I'd Dude, love it. He, yeah. and, and he's written a lot of Star Trek. To my knowledge, um, Peter David he, has never written Star Wars. Make no, he this has. happen. Yes. This no, he ha- he did. He did. When? I think it was in a Sp- Star Wars Tales short story, because I remember buying it back in the day. I think it's it's very limited what he's written, but he did write something. Okay. But yeah, so, still, like, um, yep. yeah, this is the first thing that's actually gotten me excited, because I'm not like, eh, Broodbaker, Star Wars, or, you know, Reginald. Peter David Wars. does good uh, movie tie-in stuff, so yeah, I'm, I'm game with you. Marvel, Hornus- make it happen. Hornacek from uh, Canada. Welcome, my Mr. Quote Man. Uh, what is the biggest punch in the gut comic book issue you have ever read? I don't mean an issue that surprised you or had a twist, but something that shocked you and hit you hard emotionally. It can be Spidey related or any comic. Um, uh, <laughs> in the uh, manga series Death Note, there was a character death that literally made me go through the five stages of grief. It was in like 24 hours. It was I, I was pissed. I was like uh, I wanted to bargain. I was like, there's, there's got to be some way to bring this back. And by the end of it, I was accepting of it. So you know what? This is a great term for the story. And I've never had a comic book that to me. Other, otherwise, the Ultimate Spider-Man, uh, Miles Morales, Mother of Death. Yeah, I was just gonna say because you voted that in the Crawleys, one of your one of your uh, favorites. Yes. Uh, anybody else? Um, yeah, I, I was say actually. Oh, I was rereading Shed for the purpose of the Bertoni's bio, and when I did that, Billy's death really disturbed me. Yeah, yeah. Uh, when One more day disturbed me. <laughs> well, that was disturbing, but yeah. Um, yeah. When Damian Wayne died, um, not so much his death, but the moments he had with Nightwing. Around oh yeah, his death, yeah. Just 
yeah, just hit me. Like, right before that whole thing, because um, it was the two of them there, they're crouched behind a table before they go out and, you know, make the big assault where he dies. You know, it just says something along the lines of, like, you and me were the best partnership. We, we, we were the best team. Nobody else knows. Um, and, and, you know, the kid doesn't say things like that. And just the relationship he had developed with him. And there was a Nightwing issue right before that, which, if you read it knowing what was about to happen now, will kill you. Um, so, yeah. Stella was really depressed over that for weeks. For, yeah, for a long time. It wasn't, it wasn't so much the character himself. It was that specific relationship that got me when he died. Uh, Americama to Ramen from Japan. Good job. Three, three put, well, he, he hyphenated it at the very bottom. That's the only way I got it. <laughs> Thank you very much. Um, his question is to Donovan. I was wondering how you get spider art for the uh, the front page. He recently got a commission for Mr. Clay Mann and would like to share that with you and Spider-Man fans in the world. And if you see the image, you'll love it. Okay. Arigato gozaimasu. Um, I typically go through a couple of sites. I, I'm on DeviantArt, so I see some people, some artists who are on DeviantArt. There's a website called Comic Fan, ComicArtFans.com, where they show a lot of professional artwork and uh, black and white commissions. And there's also a website called ComicsArtCommunity.com. And just generally, like all the all the great artists that I really like, I tend to follow every now and then. And that's how I find some. And if you'd like to uh, send me some artwork that you found, just PM me on the message boards. There you go. Clayman did it, recently did an issue of Indestructible Hulk, and it's the first time in a while that book has looked good. So I like Mr. Man. <laughs> uh, DC Marvel fan guy, no location, Happy New Year. With the new Beatles origin finally revealed in Superior Foes number 7, do you think that Overdrive should get an origin down the road too? Not much is known about him except that he has the awesome ability to trick out vehicles and is a fan of superheroes. I think Nick Spencer could do a great job since he has already proven uh, that with issue 7. Let's go to Chris' answer this one. Yeah, I actually kind of posted a comment on Kevin's written review um, saying that I would be interested in seeing that because I think on this podcast, a lot of us are always say that Overdrive is such a lame villain. And I yeah. think one of the reasons, the only real reason I can think of for that to be is he's so little developed because he, he is, there's nothing I would say offensive about him. He's not like disgusting, like, like the queen or something like He's just sort of a throwaway villain. And so I think he's enough of a blank slate that if Nick Spencer wrote it and Steve Lieber drew it, it would be brilliant. Uh, Big Al from Edgeware. The question to everyone. I'm reading a particular era of Spider-Man right now, and an issue of Amazing Spider-Man is supposed to take place right in the middle of an issue of Spectacular. One panel ends, and then the next one skips to weeks later, and the Amazing issue happens during that time. Do you recommend that I read Amazing issue first, wait until after the spec issue, or actually go ahead and read it in the middle of the spec issue. Depends on how anal retentive you are. <laughs> first of all, you're, you're, asking us, you're asking us this question on January uh, 5th. Chances are this podcast will be posted towards the end of January, so I hope you're not waiting all this time, like, you know, when your comics are piling <laughs> up. Um, <laughs> just, just, just finish reading the book because it's very, very tedious to like be in the middle of one book, start another. This isn't yeah. choose your own adventure, you know. You, you can read things in a linear order. I have a feeling Big Al is reading something in the nineties. <laughs> what do you mean? Yeah. Almost guaranteed on that, uh, Mister Metz. Location CBR. Uh, there's been, <laughs> been some speculation. 
possibly confirmed by solicitation by the time this podcast comes out that Peter Parker coming back in time for Amazing Spider-Man 2. Yeah, we kind of already got that one so far. So the comics can be more accessible to filmgoers. But I found an interesting comment by Mr. Bendis about what it was like to write about Daredevil getting outed at the same time the movie came out. He wrote, quote, Our publisher at the time said that he wanted the books to be very different than what the movie's were because the audience already saw the movie and they were probably looking for something different, something that raised the stakes from what they saw in the theater. What approach works better with Superior Spider-Man? Honestly... I'll jump in. Oh, uh, go ahead, Don. Go ahead. Okay, okay. Honestly, that's what Essentials and Masterworks are for. So I don't think that like the current modern books need to kowtow towards... Uh, unless they do like a miniseries, like the Dr. Octopus like, miniseries that was out at the time. Like, I remember, like, one of the biggest examples of this is, like, when the Dark Knight came out in the comics, Batman was fighting the Black Elf and dying. I don't like it when comics automatically turn into the movie franchises so they can attract people who will never read comics. It feels very, very, like, it feels like, like, like the kid trying to get the, like, like the popular kid's attention. And I think that, like, it's just better to either do a miniseries or refer to the old stuff rather than change the current storyline for, for uh, an, an imaginary audience that will come to comics. Go ahead, Chris. Yeah, um, well, I'm going to just... I, I don't think the comics really need to um, to be to mirror the movies to hook people. Um, I, I don't know. I don't think people are really brought into comics by the movies, to be honest. And uh, to this question, what would work better with Superior Spider-Man, just sort of based on just what I think would have more merit, whether it should end sooner or later... Um, I think that Slot has definitely planted seeds that would end this story quickly if they were to proceed logically, such as people uh, learning the identity of Otto and, uh, and so on. So I actually think that although I am enjoying the series and I think that they could, they won't, I don't feel like they're running out of ideas, but I feel like the logical progression of the story brings it to a, a speedy conclusion soon. Whoever was um, made that quote to Bendis about Daredevil not having to be like the movie, um, I wish that they would give that guy more time to talk in meetings because I don't think that that's been followed with a lot of other stuff. Yeah, I agree. I, I like the I like the sentiment. I like the way of thinking, and it worked into a great comic by Bendis. But I don't think it's the way most editors think, unfortunately. And, yeah. and yeah, like the how all the <laughs> Avengers all of a sudden were wearing their movie costumes last May. And that superior team-up issue where, like, Phil Coulson and everyone... (laughs) And and, and that editor who said, hey, you know, maybe bringing in um, a Samuel L. Jackson, Nick Fury, into the 616 and also calling him Nick Fury and having him lose his eye might not be the best (laughs) idea. (laughs) This next one's aimed at JR. It's from TNR105. His location is writing that which once went wrong. Uh, Hey, gang, it's been a while since I asked a question, but given the new format, I don't think it'll be that hard to come up with one a month. So I thought of this one with JR in mind, but everyone's free to answer. No, they're not. JR's got this one. We haven't heard from him yet. JR has gone on record about what actors he thinks could pull off Norman on screen, but is there anyone in particular you guys would cast as Kingsley? I always thought Bruce Greenwood, Pike in the Star Trek reboot, and also the voice of Batman in Under the Red Hood, would be able to pull off both the charisma of Roddy and the cunning of the Hobgoblin. So, JR, you're a casting director in Hollywood. We're putting the Hobgoblin in a movie. Go. Oh my God! Uh, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, you know, it's funny because uh, the character of Roderick Kingsley has changed dramatically since uh, he first came out. Because Roger Stern 
when he created Kingsley, made him somewhat effeminate. And, uh, and of course, and George and I, Yeah, I know. And then George said, he's gay, he's gay, you know, because he wore an ass But, uh, and then, you know, Kingsley, and then over the years, uh, particularly, you know, different writers have, you know, well, I think the last time we just saw Kingsley's superior, he's a big, brawny guy, you know, and uh, very masculine looking. Uh, actually, if I were to cast that, uh, I would make it, I would go back to the original concept. Because it's easy, it's easy to have like you know, like the Green Goblin. Like I, I, Norman's an alpha male, and I think Norman should be played by an alpha male. But I think you know, remember when Alan Cumming was the original choice for the Green Goblin uh, for the Spider-Man musical, and mm-hmm. uh, and you were you know, and I was thinking Night- well. Nightcrawler, yeah. Yeah, and I was thinking, you know, and I said, well, you know, it didn't matter to me that he was gay. It was just that I always saw Norman. Norman as an alpha male character, and Alan Cumming didn't strike me as an alpha male character. But I think Alan Cumming could do Kingsley. I mean, Mm. kind of, you know, somewhat effeminate. You you just don't think this guy is going to, you know, be able to kick your ass. Uh, And uh, but lo and behold, he does. Uh, so I would, I, if I would cast Kingsley, I would, I would, I would cast him as someone who you don't think is the most masculine individual. What about uh, what was the guy in the King Kong movie? The re, uh, he has a oh, has kind uh, of a bigger nose. He was also Adrian uh, Brody. Yeah. What about him? Nah, I don't. I don't know. Okay, I don't, I don't like it. Weird choice. <laughs> his, nose is too, his, his nose is too big. All right. <laughs> That's not Kingsley's nose. Come on. He could play the snaz in the uh, anyway uh, six six and a half from Inland Empire. Uh, let's see which B, C, or D list villain do you think has the potential to go A list? I have an answer for this one. We can go around, but I always thought uh, a D list villain that could go A is the Spot. I think the Spot it has a cool idea. I think he's just been. Uh, just kind of mangled. I don't know. I think a villain that has the power to reach into himself is never going to be above the C or B list. No, he has all these portals that pop up anywhere. I think that uh, he was used really well in Daredevil. portal. <laughs> like, Mark Wade did really interesting things with him. I, th- I agree. Because, like, like, I think that, like, uh, people can't get past this, this original stupid costume, but the re- yeah. his redesign has it where his face, face is a kind of a blank hole. And I think that, like, like in Daredevil, he was actually really effective, and I think that, like, uh, he could at least not be stupid anymore. Who else? Who else? I don't know. I don't good? know if he's considered D-list, but I've always thought that Kakarian, with his original power set, was, like, the most powerful villain that Spider-Man ever faced. If you punch him, you you phase through him. If he touches you, you turn to dust and die. And he can teleport and read minds. Who was also, that I learned from this podcast, I didn't know, that it was, what, rumored, JR, that he was the, the reanimated kind of zombie of Norman Osborn? <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, we've talked about this a couple of times. Yeah, yeah was, I, I uh, never knew that. Yeah. But, Jr., you got a D-lister going up to A. Well, that's a really hard one because uh, yeah, because yeah, to me, an A-list villain. When you think of Spider-Man's A-list villain, you think of three. You think of Osborn, Norman Osborn, uh, um, Doc Ock, and Venom. And each of them have some kind of they're they're either a, a they have a relationship to or they're kind of a deviant twist on Peter Parker. Uh, and I'm just trying to I mean, most D-list villains are just. Damn silly, 
You know, I mean, yeah. because because you know, I mean, you do you do have to have a bunch of straw men for Spider Man just to beat up. So, um, as far as I, I don't know, Mysterio has always been my favorite B list villain. Uh, mm-hmm. He he just seems he seems to be the one that you could. Uh, I think uh, what was it that uh, J M D Mateus did with him once? But they had a uh, he was a he and Peter Parker were actually accidentally in the theater together and were kind of sharing and commiserating and uh, and then they got uncomfortable with it, you know, and uh, stopped talking to each other. That'd be my guess, mm-hmm. but uh, I yeah, that would be my guess. He seems to have the one to be the most that there is the most potential to do something with. Anybody else got one? Yeah, I think that um, the chameleon has a large potential to be an A-lister, especially back in, like, the late 90s where, like, at one point he knew Spider-Man's identity. I don't, I don't remember exactly how that happened, but, like, I remember that whole Jenkins story, which yeah. was really, really good. And um, I don't know if he can, like, you know, pose a threat just knowing Spider-Man's identity, but, like, he's been shown to be extremely effective in the last, like, decade. Like, he, like whenever he kind of pops up, he always fools the reader. And I think that, like, there's a large potential, and then, like, maybe because he's a Ditko villain, there's an inherent tendency not to take him all that seriously. But he could be pretty... I, th- I think he could well work well in a movie. I think it could be kind of fun. Cool. Definitely the Anybody big else? wheel. He found out, he, he found out Peter's identity during the um, Luke Ross run. Right. I, the big wheel, you said? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> the big wheel is just waiting for his time to shine. You know, what about Rocket Raccoon? I mean, he he went up a lot. Is he a Spider-Man villain? No, but no. I mean, he went from like a D-lister character all the way up to I don't know, hey, but Deadpool was really popular. Like, or yeah. he's he's popular now. But I remember when he first came out, and I don't remember him nearly, being nearly as popular as he is right now. Yeah, Chris, we didn't hear your vote. You got one? Um, well, in terms of like a really low level villain, I, it's hard to say because it's someone that you haven't. You know, the reason that villains are D-list villains is there hasn't really been a great story with them, so it's hard to, you know, be the first one to envision, like, a great one. But I think, um, I think, I think Tombstone could, could ascend a little bit higher than he is. Um, yeah. I, I think a B-lister who, uh, I would, is almost an A-lister, but not quite as craven, um, could, if you had better stories, I think at this point in time he has an aura of him because he uh, really had had one really great story where he died and then came back and sort of has kept the sort of aura of being like a really dangerous epic villain, but hasn't really had the stories to back that up. I think if if they did something better with him, he could be something like really uh, high yeah. level. Uh, let's see, Herman Schultz. Who alias is the shocker? Uh, one post uh, he says uh, I've been listening to the podcast a lot recently and catching up on the episodes, and I really enjoy the segments that have gradually been added, like the Friday night fights portion. I hope it's okay. That my first question is here. Yes, it's fine. Welcome to the podcast. My question is aimed at the whole group. Now that we're just over six years on from One More Day and Omit, I've been wondering how you each feel about the Spider versus General Direction. By this, I mean, is One More Day still something looming over the title? In general, do you think at this point it's just something that has or will gradually fade into relevance? Um, relevance, sorry. <laughs> I'll wait for you to know um, Is a okay to answer? Yeah, go ahead, dude. Uh, barring the marriage, like taking the marriage out of it, because that's like the most obvious question. I think that personally, for me, ever since 2008, I cannot look at a mainstream Spider-Man title, no matter who's writing him, 
and see the character the same because the way Peter Parker's been written is a really like dialed up, de-aged, hyperactive version of him, and that's just not how I, I grew up to know the character. And like, even if it's a good story, even if Dan Slott's on his A game, that's just not Peter Parker to me. It just comes off in like the way he kind of thinks about things, how he's like really hyperactive and really like you know overtly emotional. And he just doesn't seem to be an adult anymore. And I'm not asking him to be mature with 20 kids or whatever, but like. They seem to be writing a character that they think they know Spider-Man to be, and to me, that's just not the character. And I know all you guys know what I mean, although I can't really explain yeah. it. But like, that's just no, you do. That's, a, that's the main did. difference that I don't know when's going to reverse. Twenty years from now, we'll still be talking about this storyline, I, I th- just like we will Gwen Stacy. I think it's appropriate to talk about. It's just when you bring it up, and there's a difference between people who have gotten over it and people who haven't gotten over the effects. Because I honestly groan when like people are talking about a modern issue of Spider-Man and they make Mephisto jokes or One More Day jokes or like jokes from 2008, and it's like. Okay, you know, like, there are times where that's relevant. Like, if Mephisto showed up in a Spider-Man comic on our next podcast, we'll make one more day jokes. But if Spider-Man's, you know, having a sandwich, we're not going to say, take that, Freevort, you want him to be a relatable 20-something like Joe Casada, but look at him eating a sandwich. Mephisto, I I hate <laughs> that stuff. It's yeah. It's not relevant, and I still hear it a lot. It's like people telling Monica Lewinsky jokes on late night comedy. (laughs) It is. It's like people who were still telling Monica Lewinsky jokes during the George, you know, Bush presidency. It's, you know, I hate to, I hate to say move on because that paints like some people in a bad light. And I don't want to be one of those, you know, move on, get out of your parents' basement. You can hate what happened in one more day. You can hate how the books are now, but like five years later, one more day jokes, bringing up the Brevoort Manifesto, which applied to the books at the time, we're in a much different environment now. Yeah, the Brevoort Manifesto is going to get contradicted, so i, I got to stop because I'm going to go on a rant towards all these fanboys. <laughs> I'm, I'm done. <laughs> Uh, Dree Day. Sup, guys? I've been a fan of Spider-Man since the animated series in the 90s, and I Hell used to yeah. collect the cow- the cards, but traded them for basketball cards with friends. But now that I'm older, I'm looking for a new hobby, and I want to get into collecting the books again, since I've been out of the comic book scene for over a decade. It's overwhelming, the different titles that are out there. I want to start from the very start, so I know where what's going on and what you guys are talking about on the show, and more importantly, grow with the characters. Thanks, and the show is dope. Thank you. Yep. What should hey. he start with? Um, oh if you God. want to know what we're talking about on the show... He should probably not start at the very beginning with Spider-Man. Um, but, I mean, I would always recommend, like, going back and reading the old stuff because it is good, and then maybe stay up current with the new stuff while you're, you know, at the same time. Okay, Steve Rogers' question. He's got three paragraphs. Chris, sum it up. Uh, well, he, he has noted that the following, or that the past ten years have included since past uh, the unmasking in Civil War, One More Day, Brand New Day, Superior Spider-Man, uh, Miles Morales debuting, all kinds of stuff that have gotten people talking about controversy. And uh, he, has, he, he wants to know if there has been a period of 10 years in the past that has been as controversial as this one. Nope. In terms of next question. 
<laughs> Clone Saga, yeah, Clone Saga's one. Yeah, you know, because Peter was revealed not to be Peter, and oh yeah, he smacked his pregnant wife in the face, and um, she flew across the room, and let's see, the baby was miscarried, the night that Gwen Stacy died was retconned when Norman Osborn came back from the dead, but no, 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 this ten years is more controversial. If you, if you, <laughs> if you, do, uh, if you do 1994 to 2004, you get the Clone Saga instance pass in there. Last question. Spider-Man 8 posts. Recently been watching some 90s animated cartoons. It's kind of a chore to get back into. Do you guys find the constant reuse of footage and censorship, i.e. Spidey not being able to punch anyone in my- Morbius's hand suckers, wow, a bit wow. distracting when you go back to revisit the show? Also, Felicia! Uh, I, 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 I absolutely... If you are going into the show after the show's already gone off the air, then I absolutely understand having trouble getting into it that way. But, like, uh, some of us here who, you know, watched the show as kids when it was coming out, that's just part for the course. And we, I, don't, I, I mean, I personally, I noticed it a bit more when I was reviewing it, but I, by and large, it doesn't really bother me. But if it does bother you, then I perfectly understand. I think this is the same thing I feel with Amazing Friends. Um it, it, I grew up with Amazing Friends, and I have fond, fond memories of it. So I, uh, I loved it when it was coming out, but I haven't rewatched it, and I'm, I'm thinking maybe that's the smart way to go. <laughs> I actually, I, 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 I have rewatched it. Beyond the phone. Sorry, go ahead, Chris. I uh, think I have rewatched it, and though it is, it is the show that I grew up with, so it's it's hard to be unbiased. But I do think that it holds up fairly well because it does. Um, try to tell the sort of ambitious, interconnected, long-running stories that the comics do. And I don't think any of the earlier series really did. And I think the only other series that like, gives it a run for its money for the best is uh, Spectacular. I-, I think, like, Spectacular is, like, the pound for pound. Each episode is, like, the be- it's the best per episode, you know, but, like, the, yeah. the quality and quantity combined, I give it the best series from 90 series, despite, you know, the recycled animation and so on. I'm not sure I've ever heard Jr. talk about the '90s cartoon. Did you ever watch it, Jr.? Oh yeah, yeah, I watched uh, watched it uh, when it first came on. Yeah, and did you I like think... it, or what did you think of it? Oh, I watched it. I mean, I watched it, but uh, I. Uh... <laughs> oh. What did you think of it? I, I saw it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it, it. It's hard. I mean, it's it's it wasn't anything that I absolutely had to had to to see. Uh, to be honest, yeah. because I. I don't know. I mean, like I said, you know, I didn't like the way they had the, you know, the Kingpin was the, uh, you know, the vil- kind of the primary villain throughout, and Spider-Man could yeah. never touch him or get him or whatever. That got old, and, and of course, you know, all the cop, you know, not you, you know, all the cops using these super laser guns or whatever, I thought was utterly stupid. Uh, <laughs> so it's, it, 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 I found I found it to be tolerable. Okay, here's here's yeah. the thing about the Spider-Man cartoons. The Spectacular Spider-Man cartoon is the best Spider-Man cartoon. It's better than Ultimate Spider-Man. It's better than the 90s show. The 90s show, Brad, is better than Spider-Man's Amazing Friends. But Spider-Man's Amazing Friends is a better cartoon than the 60s show. So I think that like there's there's sort of like a actually very good increase of quality generally with Spider-Man cartoons. That's until be, Ultimate. Yeah, we noticed <laughs> we noticed that you left the MTV show and Spider-Man Unlimited off of there. And, uh, <laughs> that, that doesn't help my argument. 
Don and I. Yeah, it doesn't help your argument at all. <laughs> Don and I can't have a solo conversation on the telephone for for more than like twenty minutes without a quote from the '90s show, like getting in there, just randomly. Like we'll be discussing Aladdin, and then all of a sudden there's a '90s show quote. In fact, like this year actually is the 20th anniversary of the '90s show, and I I would ask, wow. I would actually like to do something special for it. Well, you know, you can make fun of the the. The suckers on Morbius's hands and everything, all you want. But in the end, that was what started my love for Morbius and Blade, and here I am today. Wow. There's a lot of the '90s show in today's comics, like the name Oscorp that came from the '90s show. The symbiote uh, making its user be evil that came from the '90s show, despite Even, what a lot uh, of people think. The Spider-Man movie, like that shot of him waking up and he's over the building, that's directly from Alien yeah. One. There's nowhere else yeah, it could come from. Nice. All right. Uh, thanks for everybody writing in. Again, we're uh, if you want to ask a question, we generally post it uh, a couple weeks before the uh, first of the month on the Crawl Space Message Board. Look for Ask the Gang a Question, and uh, you can get a question to the panelists. Okay, time for Spider History, JR. We're going back to January of 1980, and we have a milestone with uh, Amazing Spider-Man number 200 coming out. Yes, we do. Yes, we do. And... Uh Last month, it's kind of funny because last month we took a look at another milestone issue, which was Amazing Spider-Man number 500, uh, one that I was very disappointed in uh, because I thought because I was dis- uh, because I thought it didn't live up to the build-up I've been imagining in my mind for the 30 years. And Kevin then said that I was a pathetic old fool, and <laughs> and, 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 and I didn't like the conversation with uh, Uncle Ben and Peter at the end because I thought it was too banal and unrealistic and unfeeling. And then Don reminded me that it wasn't supposed to be a realistic conversation; it was supposed to be <laughs> metasexual. So, but, uh, but 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 I am but I am happy to say that Amazing Spider-Man 200 has none of those problems and is. Although, you know, again, although it does read kind of like a 70s, 80s comic, uh, has none of those other problems and, and remains a true classic. It's written by Marv Wolfman and Keith Pollard. Uh, it's broken up the, into chapters, evidently, according to our friends at Sam Ruby. Chapter 1 is called The Spider and the Burglar, a sequel. Chapter 2 is Less Spider Than Man. Chapter 3 is Let the Burglar Beware. Chapter 4 is Murder Most Foul. Chapter 5 is The Final Confrontation. And Epilogue is Resolutions. So, the burglar comes back for this one, Jr. Yeah, the chapters, the chapters are totally irrelevant. I don't know exactly why... Uh, Sam Ruby decided to uh, to list it like that, but uh, but uh, uh, but yeah, the burglar comes back. In fact, this uh, this had a two and a half year build up because uh, this actually started in issue number one hundred seventy when there was uh, when Aunt May's house was vacant, and I forget where she was living, but I know that Bertoni knows where the old bat was at any particular time in in, in Spider Man's history, whether she was living with Anna Watson or whether she was down in Florida or in a nursing home or whatever. So. I don't know where the Tony. Where was she? Um, issue one seventy. I'm believing she was still with Anna Watson um, at the house, <laughs> and um, eventually, eventually she went to the nursing home. But I think that at that point it was um, Anna Watson's house, which is where the Doctor Octopus confrontations all happened, despite what Dan Gunther Slot writes in the books. <laughs> so, I love it. So anyway, in issue 170, uh, the, uh, a realtor is showing some uh, mysterious person through the Parker house, uh, and uh, the mysterious person says, you know, says, mm, it's perfect, I'll take it. 
Uh, and then, and then the last panel on the page says, "Okay, you old rat trap, I've come back, and the secret that you possess will someday be mine." Uh, and then we didn't see him again for twenty for twenty three issues. Uh, Man. But uh, I had already figured out who he was, uh, even though I was only well, I was all sixteen, seventeen at the time, because uh, he was the unmistakable freckles on his nose, uh, and uh, you know, and just you know. Look at look at the issue 170, and then go back to Amazing 15, Amazing Fantasy 15, and it, it's unmistakable who it is. But uh, Lynn Weems uh, was writing the, the title at the time, and then he left uh, about ten issues later. Marv Wolfman picked up the, the title, and apparently Marv wanted the subplot to end at 200, which was fairly logical. Uh, so we didn't see him again until issue 193, uh, and. What had what had what had happened by then is uh, Aunt May, you know, had gone into the nursing home because she had another. She had like oh about six heart attacks during that uh, Green Goblin uh, five part Green Goblin storyline, and then she had another one with the rocket rate when the rocket racer was there. And so Peter finally put the old biddy in a nursing home, uh, <laughs> and, uh, and, and 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 this nursing home was managed by a charming fellow by the name of Ludwig Reinhardt. Uh, and, uh, and, uh, one day Ludwig was making his rounds and, uh, all of a sudden he opened the door and, oh my God, there's the mysterious house hunter. Uh, and, uh, well, actually we'd seen him earlier in the issue. Uh, he was, he was tearing apart the Parker house looking for something. Uh, but then he showed up uh, in the nursing home and told Dr. Reinhardt, I'm the, you know, I'm the, the guy that killed May Parker's husband. And she's like, oh, my God, he's back. The burner's back. Oh, this is awesome. This is just really awesome. But anyway, a whole lot happened in the next six or seven issues. Uh, in issue 194, Peter gets a letter, a telegram that says, Aunt May has died. Really? Died. Mm. You know, Dr. Reinhardt even shows, shows him the body. So, you know, she's dead. She's really dead. Uh, and Spider-Man, you know, during that time, he meets a black cat for the first time. Uh, and then, uh, in a, another, uh, Bertoni hates Betty moments, uh, Betty, you know, <laughs> Betty slaps him, you know, uh, uh at, at the ESU cafeteria, you know, and, uh, let's see, and then he has a, he has what, what was at that time supposed to be the final fight with the Kingpin. Well, of course it wasn't the final one. And then, and then all of a sudden we find out that, uh, Reinhardt and the burglar are conspiring to get their hands on whatever whatever treasure is in the Parker home. And Dr. Reinhardt double-crosses the burglar because Dr. Reinhardt is really... Ta-da-da. And if you read Amazing Experiment number 24, you would know who Lunar Reinhardt really was. It was Mysterio. So then the next three issues are Spider-Man versus Mysterio. And at the end of 199, Mysterio shoots Spider-Man with a... A dark loaded with enough depressant to knock him out and take away his spider powers for a while. <laughs> and that ends 199. And then issue number 200, Spider-Man comes to and his spider powers are gone. You know, so, and so now he prepares the story. The stage is set for him to settle his oldest score. So, but, uh, and anyway, the, the, uh, Peter goes back to the Parker home and sees it all tore up and says, what the hell happened here? Who was renting the house? He goes to the realtor office and finds out who it was. It's him. The last person he ever suspected would be back. Him. 
which we never <laughs> learned his we never learned his name, but you know we know who him is. <laughs> um, and uh, but hey, so we at the burglar on the so Peter does some research and finds out that uh, uh, he finds out about the history of the Parker home, and then the burglar confronts Peter uh, because he thinks that Peter knows exa- you know what the treasure is. And we find out through the mutual conversation that back in the during Prohibition, the Parker House was the home of a mobster who threw a lot of wild parties. And you know, being a being a bootlegger and everything like that, he accumulated quite a stash and supposedly stored it in the house somewhere. So that's what the burglar's been after all these years, and that's why the burglar went to the Parker home. That's why he went from Manhattan to Queens, uh, which I guess is I guess if you've ever Going from Manhattan to Queens, I guess it's not that easy to do. But uh, uh, that that was uh, that, that was the uh, the reason that John Byrne uh, came up with an extremely convoluted uh, origin for Spider-Man uh, because he didn't think it made any sense for the burglar to go from Manhattan to Queens. But anyway, so that was it. Uh, it was a it wasn't a random inva- home invasion. It was a targeted home invasion. So anyway, uh, Peter, you know, the burglar ties up Peter Parker, beats him up. Peter says, "Screw you! I ain't going to tell you anything." The burglar says, I have something that'll make you talk. And it turns out that Kent May is really alive. What a shock. No one would ever have known. I was completely stunned. You know, I didn't even answer the, I didn't answer the question of were you ever shocked or punched in the gut for a story. And yes, that would have been it to find out May was still alive. Oh, there would have guessed. You know, what are they going to do next? You know, is Harry going to come back? You know, I mean, Norman? I mean, gee whiz. Um, uh, Dopped off. I mean, I mean, we saw his next snap. He couldn't come back from the dead. Mysterio, you know. And oh, that's right. Oh, anyway, uh, so anyway, it turns out though the burglar is you know brings in Aunt May because he thinks that threatening her is going to make Peter talk. But Peter's not you know in the warehouse, captive in the warehouse anymore. But Spider-Man is there. And basically, what happens is uh, 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 Spider-Man and the burglar, because Spider-Man's powers are are always start slowly starting to return. You know, he it's a prolonged fight, and the burglar, and so Spider-Man goes on a, starts going on a rant, saying, I've been waiting for this for years. I'm going to beat the living shit out of you. And today is the day I atone for all of Spider-Man's sins. And then the burglar says, why are you so freaking mad? Why do you care about this old geezer and his family and Peter Parker? And, and then Spider-Man says, you know what? I once read a Batman comic years ago where Batman <laughs> faced, where, where Batman tried to pin something on Joey Chill and he couldn't do it. So he decided the only way to do it was to go to Chill and say, you know, I know you killed the Wayne family, Chill. And Chill says, uh, how do you know? Because I was there. Because I was Wayne. Anyway, so Peter says, I thought that would be really cool to do, so I'm just going to do it to you. And he rips off his mask and he says, I care because Ben Parker was my uncle. You know, so. <laughs> and, and, and then the burglar, you know, kind of comes to the conclusion. Oh, says, oh, shit. Now, I've really stepped in it. Uh, and he thinks that, he thinks that now Park, Spider-Man is going to kill him. And so as Spider-Man comes after him, Spider-Man says, I'm not going to kill you, you worthless piece of shit, uh, because I recognize that with great power comes great responsibility. And the burglar's heart gives out. <laughs> Boom. He, oh, he just dies. How convenient. How convenient. So there's still kind of a certain amount of late 70s. 70s. Uh, and then Spider-Man says, oh, that's funny, he's dead. 
boy, the voice really felt, you know, I feel I feel like I should be having a party or something, but eh, I just, you know, blah. So he goes back <laughs> to Mrs. Parker. He goes back to Mrs. Parker, you know, to May, who's there, and says, she says, oh, you're horrible, you're ugly, you're wearing this dreadful costume, and, you know, and Spider-Man says, look, you did, you ding bat. I've saved your ass, I don't know how many times over the years, you know, and this is the way you treat me. So he says, now, Mrs. Parker, I just want to be your friend, you know, and so, and then they hold hands. Um, well, then we find out later that, uh, you know, Aunt, Peter, uh, when Aunt May's taken back to the nursing home, Peter asks her, uh, did, you ever, did you ever find a, a box of money from some old gangster? And she said, yeah, well, we found a big old box, but uh, insects and termites had eaten it all up, whatever it was. So everything, it was all for nothing. And, uh, and then, what do you think of what do you think of May learning Peter's identity right there? Well, in other words, I, I must say, if, if I were on Skype, I probably would have seen in the little window, "Hurry this up, Jr. Jr. This is getting boring." So no, I'm going to jump no. in with a question. <laughs> Nobody I, wrote I, that. I was going to get into that. You know, Very, I, look at us think of that. I mean, it was like I mean, it's, it's not like you're trying to figure out who the mysterious uh, the vagrant was uh, in. Uh, in issue number 156, but uh, anyway, so we have the final issue of issue 200 is Stanley writing this big optimistic statement about Spider-Man is here to stay. So anyway, there, this, as, as Brad once mentioned, uh, Jay and Demetrius, when I think it was Demetrius because he wrote issue number 400, he, when he came up with the revelation that Aunt May had known that Spider-Man, Peter was Spider-Man, I believe he cited this story as uh, probably when May started figuring things out. And I tend to agree that this was the time that May, because I think after this, May's attitude towards Spider-Man takes a, a demonstrable change. Whereas she's feared him and she's loathed him all these years, uh, after, the, after this, uh, she actually starts to uh, respect him and, uh, uh, you know, and, and not be so negative toward him. And I think basically it was just finally May decided to stop lying to herself because she had to know. I mean, it's like she said in issue number 400, how could I, how, could I possibly that be that stupid? Uh, yeah. But uh, I, I think, you know, I, I think that basically after that, in that issue, she stopped lying to herself and started to finally face the truth that, that Spider-Man had, right. was somebody she knew all along. But we found out later after issue number 400 that it really wasn't Aunt May that knew what Spider-Man's identity was. It was a genetically engineered actress uh, by, uh, altered by Norman Osborn, and then she died, and then Norman had been keeping Aunt May in a crate all these years. So Because comics, yeah, because of comics. <laughs> because, Bob Harris, because Bob Harris loathed the idea of Aunt May knowing that Peter was Spider-Man. And, of course, Bob, Bob Harris, being the well-respected editor, both at Marvel and at DC, where he is winning new friends on a daily basis, Bob <laughs> Harris always knew best. Issue number 200 is, is, is definitely a classic. It really is. It's, uh, it's yeah. Spider-Man, like I said, Spider-Man settling into the, his oldest score. Uh, and uh, and uh, the burglar, unlike many other People has actually stayed dead. Until next month when Dan Slott... No. <laughs> you, you're um, giving them ideas now. The, uh, Carradine, what, uh, what's, it was revealed in the 90s, I think, when his daughter reappeared. 
what was his burglar's name again? The burglar's name has never been revealed. I mean, it's, it's, it, even though Jessica Carradine was his daughter, yeah. that doesn't necessarily mean that that was his name. Uh, but uh, in a good, in, in some, in some interest, in some nice fan wanking in the Spider-Man Three movie. Uh, <laughs> Uh, it was uh, when, when when Captain Stacy says, you know, well, we 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 originally thought it, this man killed your husband, and then they throw up he, he throws a picture of the burglar Dennis Carradine. Uh, that, that was that was kind of a fan wanky moment. Um, but no, we really don't we really don't know who the burglar was, what his name was, and it's it's completely irrelevant. Uh, yep. So in fact, it's, it's in, in fact I don't even know why they brought in the daughter thing. To be honest, I mean it really. I, I like the daughter. I like the daughter idea. I don't know why. Well, I like uh, her character, but I just didn't think yeah. she had to be the, the daughter of the burglar. I just wish she wasn't introduced in the Clone Saga because <laughs> she might still be around. That was actually more yeah. interesting because she hated Peter, and that you know Ben yeah. wasn't him. Peter Parker's Spectacular Spider-Man number thirty-eight came out in January nineteen eighty. Has an awesome looking cover by Al Milgram with uh, Morbius getting hit by electricity from a uh, in it from the sky or am I uh, or is he just emitting electric Kevin what is he doing it's lightning. That it's lightning okay oh. Spider-Man's getting shocked this one's called The Curse of the Living Vampire written by Bill Matlow and our friend uh, our pal Sal artist on this story and this is the first appearance of the sh- uh, Shizoid Man Shizoid Man Schizoid man, schizoid man. Yeah, okay, go ahead. I don't remember schizoid. Well, anyway, the story opens uh, with Morbius flying around looking for teenage girls to attack, and uh, <laughs> that's and, Kevin's favorite. Now, <laughs> I mean, so, so Morbius is this, Morbius is, is flying over a neighborhood and he sees three teenagers, two boys and a girl. Uh, and he says, well, you know, this is pretty, a pretty easy choice. I'll just suck the blood out of the girl. Um, you know, and I'm sure, you know, and, you know, might as well take care of her now before she grows up, marries somebody, and then sucks the living life force out of whoever she marries, like, you know, another, a number of other women have done to their husbands. Um, wow. <laughs> that is so unkind. <laughs> That's so not nice, JR, but, uh, <laughs> I love it. Well, uh, yeah. You know what? You know what? How, how many years have you been married, Brad? I'm going on nine. Okay, let's, let's, I'll, I'll dial you up in another. Well, of course, maybe I won't be alive then because I'll be in my sixties. But I'll dial you up in another sixteen years and see if you're still so happily married at the time. Um, anyway, yeah, spectacular. Uh, Thirty-eight was. Uh, this was uh, actually pretty early on in a significant um, kind of change in Spider-Man's status because Peter had. Uh, I was just starting grad school, and he was one of a number of teaching assistants there at Empire State University, and we had the introduction of several new characters. And uh, so, uh, also at this time, Peter was uh, working for the Daily Globe, because he had been, uh, he and Jonah had finally fired him, and so he went to work for uh, Barney Bushkin at the Globe, and Barney was treating him rather nice and paying him a good deal of money for his photos. So, so things were going well for for Peter Parker at this time in his life, except he was kind of having an anger problem. Um, he had an, he had an experiment get botched up and just kind of blew his stack. And you know, and Connor said, "What's wrong?" And you know, and Peter said, "Connor's get away from me." But 
we don't know exactly what's wrong yet. Um, so anyway, so Peter is there on campus, and of course, uh, in a previous issue, uh, he had disappeared because he had to fight Swarm, Swarm and attack the ESU. And Kevin, who is Swarm? Uh, skeleton covered in bees. <laughs> so so anyway, Peter had disappeared during this confrontation when all the other grad students were trying to whip up something to fight Swarm, and Marcy Kane thinks he's a coward, you know. And I'm thinking, hmm, this has a kind of a, this is, has kind of a retro feel to it. Um, so anyway, another one of uh, the, the teaching assistants, uh, Chip Martin, says, "Hey, Peter, uh, my uh, my old man is throwing a Halloween party. You want to come?" So all the teaching assistants, uh, including um, Phil Chang, who we actually met in Amazing Spider-Man 184, uh, and uh, then another guy by the name of Steve Hopkins, they're all there at the, at the Halloween party. And then all of a sudden, uh, Marcy Kane shrieks in terror. And yes, it's because Morbius has come looking for more young women. And uh, <laughs> so, so, but... So when so then when Sp- Peter sees Morbius, he says, "Oh man, Morbius, my favorite punching bag. Whenever he shows up, no matter what he's doing, I've just got to kick the shit out of him." <laughs> so you know, so uh, you know, so even if Morbius had just been showing up to, you know, he could have just shown up to say, "Hey, I always like a good Halloween party." Peter would have changed the Spider-Man just to beat the shit out of him because that's what Peter does to Morbius. Um, but while 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 Spider-Man's fighting, uh, anyway, so Spider-Man gets Morbius to drop Marcy, and uh, Spider-Man looks at her and says, "I've never noticed how lovely she was before." Oh God, here we go. Anyway, but then also Chip Martin, the other uh, character, is starting to talk a lot, really funny, pain, anger, fear, so many emotions, too much all at once. So we got a subplot brewing there. Anyway, so Spider-Man and Morbius take their battle outside, and Morbius gets struck by lightning. He doesn't get eaten by sharks. Uh, he gets struck by lightning. And uh, and he turns human again. And so this so he is now permanently cured, and we will never see Morbius a living vampire again. Oh, okay. Uh, but uh, but but uh, also uh, we find out that uh, Chip Martin has uh, started to go completely wacko, and he drives away, and that sets up the story for next issue, the where Chip is the Schizoid Man. Okay, who is that? <laughs> Excuse me. The Schizoid Man was uh, a one a one note supervillain. Actually, it kind of. Uh, played into uh, the Hobgoblin story, even, uh, because... Oh. Yeah, well, because he, uh, Chip, I guess, said uh, he was kind of an empath, apparently. And so, you know, he couldn't handle the... Uh, he, when when people were too emotional around him, uh, he couldn't handle it. And then it would kind of... Uh, it would, he would kind of start acting out in various ways and creating illusions and zapping people's minds and doing all kind of crazy things. So, so in the next issue, when Spider-Man finally confronts him, and even though he's got him beat, Spider-Man continues to hit him, you know, just, you know, literally beat the shit out of him. And it turns out that the reason Spider-Man is so brutal and violent is because, back in issue number 34, when he defeated the Iguana, he used a handheld, uh, he used like an innervator and zapped the iguana back to an iguana, because the iguana was a walking, talking iguana. So he used the innervator to zap the iguana back into a four-legged crawling iguana and changed 
the lizard back to Kirk Connors, but Kirk Connors found out that the innervator wasn't properly shielded, so there was some feedback. And at the end of the, the next issue, Spider-Man turns into Spider-Lizard. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, the, that. the chip part connection is that years later, Roger Stern decided to bring back Senator Martin, Chip's father, and make him a hobgoblin suspect because his motivation would have been Spider-Man brutally beating his son all those years ago. So he was, although it was kind of handled pretty quickly in the Hobgoblin Lives miniseries, but but ultimately Senator Martin was going to be one of the hobgoblin suspects for because of the the events here in Spectacular Number Thirty Eight. Hmm. Good day. <laughs> what? You, that, I'm that's breaking it. up. What? Oh, there you go. Sorry, I'm talking. <laughs> he, 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 he goes. He goes. You, good day. And like that's 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 the dead end of the. Oh, issue. you just you just did, you just did it. Did you put on the brakes? I didn't see the stop sign. Very nice. Well, there wasn't very hardly. I mean, I was already I was already rambling as it was. So. Uh, <laughs> Now, we had another issue. We had uh, a Marvel team-up, uh, Spider-Man teaming up with Nightcrawler. Uh, this one was written by Chris Claremont and art by Michael Nasser and Rick, Rich uh, Buckler. And it features uh, Arcade and the first appearance of Cutthroat. And I have a little – and the title of this one is called Shootout Over Center Ring. And I have a little story about this one, JR. Before you start, back in uh, 1980, I was five years old. And uh, I, I uh, was misbehaving, and my grandfather uh, thought uh, to get me in line, he would rip up one of my comic books. Oh, God. And it just so happens he ripped up this issue. I was five years old, and it was such a traumatic event, I remember the specific issue because I went back and bought it with him at a convention he took me to. So I'm like, That's you remember horrible. this? Well, I... <laughs> My grandpa's a wonderful guy, but uh, he, he knew I loved comic Oh, he's books, a wonderful and... guy when he rips up things that his five-year-old grandson loves? Well, well I, I... the innervator wasn't shielded, so he was acting more irrationally at that time. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, I, I was a good boy from then on because he never ripped up another comic book. But anyway. Now, now see, I would that, have thought... Back when they... That's back when these cost 40 cents, so it wasn't a big money commitment anyway. <laughs> now, see, I would have thought he would have ripped up the one that Spider-Man was teaming up with Red Sonia, because that's the one where you kind of disappeared into the room, you know, into your bedroom. And, and I was five. Come out. <laughs> I was five. <laughs> <laughs> I was five in 1980. Okay. You didn't get that until you were uh, 15. There you go. Anyway. I re I repurchased this one with uh, at a convention that him and I went to. So we it uh, I just have a fond memory of this. I couldn't tell you what's inside the book, but uh, he's teaming up with Nightcrawler. Go ahead, Jr. Is your grandfather <laughs> is your grandfather still alive? He's alive. I've oh. told him this story several times over the years. Oh, and and what you know does he does he remember it? He doesn't remember what I was doing wrong. Neither do I. But I remember the issue. <laughs> Uh, oh boy! Again, it was forty cents. I, I always wondered what's, what, why you were so psychologically scarred. Now I know. <laughs> Marvel team up number eighty nine did it to me. Yeah. <laughs> well, as you said, it was written by Chris, Chris Claremont, Mister X Man. So you know that uh, the story is really going to be about Nightcrawler, and Spider Man is going to be an incidental character, uh, which is exactly what happens. Um, <laughs> 
<laughs> Basically, yep. it, it, the, the story begins with Nightcrawler making out with his flight attendant girlfriend at the, the airport. Uh, and then uh, it just so happens that they notice that there's a private plane there uh, with a big A on the fin, and, oh, it's arcades. Uh, you know, and, of course, we know arcade. You know, uh, the guy who has, as, as Brad once described it, the world, um, if you remember how you described it so uh, lacklusterly and George, uh, George got on your face for that. Refresh me. What did I say? <laughs> arcade, arcade's thing is murder world, right? Right. And, and apparently you mumbled it, and uh, and uh, it, George thought that uh, you were not selling it as well as you should have. So, obviously, well, George gets something a lot anyway. <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, this is uh, arcade is also incidental to the story. But <laughs> how do I describe this? This was just a dull story. This this is unfortunately this story has none of the uh, it has none of the glorious ridiculousness or idiocy of of many other Marvel team-ups. Uh, basically, this guy by the name of Amos Jardine, I have no idea, you know, he, he, wow. wants to, he wants to kill Spider-Man. He originally hired Arcade to do it. He reneged on Arcade's deal, and he wants to hire somebody else. So that's the deal. Arcade's telling him to go piss off, uh, and Jardine is uh, going to find somebody else, you know, has found somebody else to kill Spider-Man. Uh, and we don't find out why he wants to until a few panels later. Uh, but anyway, it turns out that, uh, you know, Nightcrawler's been watching this, and uh, he's got a history with this uh, Amos Jardine character, because Nightcrawler used to be in a circus, and Jardine owns circuses. And so rather than, so when he bought Nightcrawler Circus, he turned Nightcrawler from a trapeze act into a freak show, into the freak show. So uh, Nightcrawler was horribly scarred. So anyway... Apparently, Jardine issued a challenge in the paper that said that he challenged Spider-Man to prove that his web-slaying um, theatrics were more dramatic than trapeze artists in a circus. Yeah, that'll really get Spider-Man to uh, to, to come, you know, to come to your uh, to come to your show. Uh, but he wants Spider-Man to show up, and so and so that his his hired assassin. Uh, cutthroat will kill Spider-Man, and it'll be worth millions of dollars of free publicity. <sighs> so, but anyway, so Nightcrawler, you know, has heard all of this, and Nightcrawler says, well, you know what, I'll try to lure uh, the assassin out because I'm red and blue like Spider-Man, so everybody will think that I'm Spider-Man. Okay. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh, my. And uh, so... Uh, Basically, you know, they fire, I mean, they, you know, they, uh, the uh, cutthroat releases all the wild animals, Spider-Man webs up all the wild animals, uh, uh, you know, and then Spider-Man, you know, the uh, cutthroat is about to shoot Nightcrawler, but then Spider-Man employs a very seldom used tactic. He webs up the, the gun that cutthroat is using, and guess what? It explodes when cutthroat fires it and knocks him out. Uh, yeah, Jardine tries to escape using Nightcrawler's girl as a human shield, but he is defeated. Spider-Man kicks his ass. Nightcrawler says, I'm going to go have sex with my girlfriend. And Spider-Man says, oh, jeez, I get a mop-up again. The end. Wah, wah, wah. So, wah, wah, wah. Yeah, this was this was just this is one of those that was like okay we have we have a bunch of blank pages let's put something in them. Um, like I said, it's not even delightfully bad. It's just it's just 
a dull, uneventful story. Well, good or bad month? You got one of the all-time classics that was released, Jr. Yeah, we it was a fairly good month. Uh, I mean, you know, again, yeah. one of the all-time classics, and even then, you know, and Manlow's first run on Spectacular was pretty good. I mean, uh, you know, around the Carrion story, uh, Spectacular really started to hit in, into uh, get into its stride, and I think the, this period of time where he was a, a graduate assistant, I think, was a uh, yeah. was an interesting point in uh, Inspire Man's career. So it was it was overall a good month. And Team Up continues to just be mediocre in a third-tier book, as as we've witnessed in Spider history so many times. Yeah, except unfortunately this one, like I said, some of the others are just so delightfully awful. Uh, yeah. th- this one was, was just dull. Yeah, did it make you want to rip it up? <laughs> uh, well, you know, it depends on what you were doing with it. I don't, I don't you know, know, I mean, if you were if you were doing something nasty with it, well, yeah. Uh, <laughs> That's funny. Okay, time for Bertoni's bios. Who are we tackling? We on, can I interject just a little bit? Yeah, on the go Morbius ahead. thing. <laughs> sure. Just to say that that was uh, actually the worst month for Morbius of all time. Like, forget eaten by sharks, forget, you know, terrible stalking crippled kids. That story was the most detrimental thing to Morbius's career ever because he did not become a living vampire again for a decade. Really? The entire decade of the 80s, he was human, and he had about nine comic book appearances. And it was all because of that one comic that had no follow-up. There was no story about Morbius being a human following it. He was not in the next issue. He never appeared in a Spider-Man comic again until Maximum Carnage in the mid-90s. Wow, I, 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 I honestly never knew that was ever a part of his history. Yeah, the entire really? 80s, he was human. He only appeared in She-Hulk, Fantastic Four, and West Coast Avengers. And he had tiny appearances in those as a scientist. So that was, that was the most detrimental story to Morbius of all time. Because so they were getting cured is the worst thing that ever happened to him. <laughs> <laughs> if it wasn't There's... the 90s bringing him back as a living vampire, he, he had no use anymore. I don't remember in Maximum Carnage him explaining him being vampire again. Was that ever explained? It was in uh, Doctor Strange Sorcerer Supreme in 1989. Um, basically, Marie Laveau wanted vampire blood and turned him back into a vampire. That's bitchy. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> ah, hell of a thing. <laughs> uh, let's. When's the next time we see Morbius? By the way. Um. Uh, well, the next time he seems a living vampire was. Uh, Sorcerer Supreme, but he appeared just a few months later after that spectacular issue in a couple issues of She-Hulk, where he helped her with her blood disease, and then she defended him, and he got uh, he got acquitted for murder, but guilty of involuntary manslaughter, so a little bit of prison time. Is this the 1980s She-Hulk or the John Byrne one in the 1980s? Savage She-Hulk, written by oh, okay. David Anthony Kraft. Wow. That was quick. Very nice. Uh, let's see. Bertoni Bio, we're doing a, a lizard relative. A lizard relative, <laughs> yes. Billy Connors, um, the most edible boy um, in the Marvel universe. <laughs> <laughs> nom, nom, nom. Yeah. Oh, uh, I oh Billy Connors. I have no idea what made me pick Billy Connors this month. I was just like, you know, there's really no one in um, the Venom story who I really feel like using, and I, I don't want to do cardiac and... I was like, uh, I think I was randomly typing in the staff thread, like, I got to prepare for my Bertoni's bio on, and I was like, dot, 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 and I just said, uh, Billy Connors, and, like, sent it, 
So um, he's a Lee Dicko character. He starts off in issue six, little blonde boy. Pay attention to his age because um, it's going to fluctuate a lot. In fact, um, we'll play a drinking game, this Bertone's bio. Every time somebody uh, captures him, you can take a shot. Um, but he's not captured in the first issue. He's just, you know, playing in the Everglades where there's dangerous animals, unsupervised, you know, while his dad's the lizard outside. His mom, you know, lets him wander around the swamp with alligators and snakes. Um, he sees his dad in lizard form, runs away, but gets trapped by a snake. Now, he's not in danger because his dad is the lizard, because he was playing outside anyway. That snake still would have, you know, almost got him. So, again, letting your kid play outside in the Everglades, bad idea. Spider-Man and um, saves him and, you know, concocts the formula to cure his dad. And he, Billy knows that his dad's the lizard, you know, remember that. So he yells at Spider-Man as Spider-Man's going, you know, the cure his dad, like, don't hurt him, he's my father. The next time you see Billy is in um, the Ramita run during Amazing Spider-Man number 44. He's in Penn Station with his mom waiting for uh, dad to surprise him. And he says, maybe dad's going to sneak up on us in Penn Station and surprise us. Because you could totally do that in Penn Station, you know, sneak up behind your family, um, you know, because you won't get maced for doing that. I remember doing. I remember that. Yeah, Kurt, Kurt runs away though because he's turning into lizard. So um, he's but Billy sees Spider Man gets excited because they've met before. And um, in the rest of the arc, um, his family tries to keep from him. His when I say his family, I mean his mom. Um, they, she tries to keep from him that dad turned into lizard again, and he, he says a stupid line like, Mom, did you ever feel scared without really knowing why? Um, but at the end of issue 45, dad comes back and he says, Dad, you didn't abandon us forever. And Stanley got really, really lazy, so he had like a blank uh, speech balloon where he says, You readers, you can fill in your own dialogue here. <laughs> uh, I'm not joking. In um, Amazing <laughs> Spider-Man number 74, um, you could take your first shot, because the Magia kidnaps um, Billy and Martha Connors because they want Kurt to do some lizard stuff. And Billy has, is now a little older. He, he almost looks like he's a teenager. He's taller. Um, he tells his mom that it's okay, Mom. I know that that is the lizard I've known for years. And she's shocked that he knows this, even though his knowledge was displayed in issue six. Uh, yeah. So um, they're rescued from the Magia um, by Spider-Man in issue 76 and return home, and Spider-Man promises to find Kurt. And in issue 77, uh, um, this is the first time that uh, the lizard attacks Billy. He's wandering around New York City to find his dad, who's fighting Spider-Man and the Human Torch, and he's called Bobby Connors. Um, and, and he swears to Spider-Man, the lizard, the lizard wouldn't hurt me. I couldn't be afraid of him. Because the lizard would never hurt Billy. There's nothing to be afraid of. <laughs> Lizard's cured. In issue uh, 165 of Amazing, um, take your second shot, because Billy's kidnapped by Stegron, who threatens to return him bone by bone, um, which, oddly enough, doesn't phase Billy. Um, <laughs> he's like, don't worry, Dad. I'm not afraid of this guy who's kidnapping me and threatening to debone me. And in the next issue, you know, um, he's attacked by Stegron's dinosaurs, and then Stegron, you know, takes him, and they ride a giant T-Rex together. It's really weird, but I'm sure George loves it. Um, is, is that the fight that he's covering this month? The Stegron, yes. Okay, awesome. Yeah, so yay, symmetry, crossover. I didn't even realize that. Um, Spider-Man saves him, and the lizard saves him, and uh, you see Billy having a Merry Christmas. In Spectacular Spider-Man number 33 and 34, um, he's attacked by the iguana, and he looks a little older once again, and he defends his mom with a baseball bat. 
And uh, in issue 34 of Spectacular, he's really stupid. Like, his mom is looking at, you know, the lizard fighting iguana. She's like, it's so horrible that they're fighting him. One of them's my husband. And Billy's like, shut up, mom. They heard you, because then they turn to attack her. In issue, the next time you see him after that is issue 252 of Amazing, the first black costume right after Secret Wars. And he looks like he is old enough to drive now. Kurt Connors returns home from Secret Wars. He doesn't recognize who Spider-Man is because this is the first black costume, and he wonders if he got a new uh, tailor. You find out in Spectacular Spider-Man 127 that uh, behind the scenes after their Secret Wars reunion, Martha and Billy left Kurt because, you know, they're tired of all this lizard stuff and his disappearances. So you can take another shot. The owl kidnaps Billy and Martha. (laughs) But this time, I've lost count how many times he's been captured now. Is this three or four? Four. Excellent. Um, I'm I'm drunk. No, I'm just kidding. (laughs) (laughs) Fill another glass, because there's more coming. This was a weird arc where the lizard was, like, able to control his transformations like She-Hulk or something. And Spider-Man's even talking about the lizard becoming a superhero. He's like, wow, wait till you get a new superhero uniform. And Billy Connors is like, yeah, you were even better than Spidey. Um, but Martha and uh, Kurt still don't reconcile. They're still living apart because she has to work out how she feels about this lizard stuff. In Amazing Spider-Man 313, Billy is now de-aged by about three or four years. You know, so that's starting again. Um, Martha was going to see Kurt to try and talk about a reconciliation, but Inferno's going on. So um, a bunch of creatures try and attack them and uh, try and kill Billy as well. And uh, so they decide to go ahead with their divorce proceedings after all that's said and done. The next time you see Billy, he's de-aged from driving age, you know, in the Secret Wars issue, to he's having a little kid birthday party with ten candles. Um, Martha gets her college ring, uh, sells, sells her college ring to buy him a skateboard. And the lizard's in her bedroom waiting for her, saying, bring me the boy. And this was so, 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 so stupid. Because he was actually trying to use Billy's DNA to cure himself. But instead of saying, hey, I figured out how to turn human again. I need Billy's blood. He just says, bring me the boy. And then claws at his son, saying, don't worry, this will only hurt for a second. Um, Billy, not knowing what this is about, is utterly ticked off, um, gets a knife, and tries to murder his dad. But when his dad cures himself, he can't bring himself to do it. And they all have a hug, and, you know, and they reconcile. But the lizard is somehow um, in jail in Amazing Spider-Man Annual 29. Billy testifies about uh, during the trial about how he got his scar under his eye. Kurt is arrested anyway after the trial. They're, you know, he's found guilty. But Billy says, don't worry, Dad, it'll work out which is really, really stupid. He says it'll work out, it always does, which is stupid because it has never worked out in the history of the lizard ever. At this point, he's a bit younger, about 13. And then in Web 110, we have another DH Billy who comforts his mom after seeing the lizard's blood rampage on TV. Spider-Man sees him and calls him Billy. He says, no, I'm William now. And he says, wow, you're growing up so fast. No, you're not. He gets shorter in every appearance at this point. Um, all of a sudden, the 90s burst into the house um, and attacks them. And when I say the 90s, I mean a bounty hunter called Warren, who, like, you know, is dressed like Cable. And he kidnaps <laughs> Billy, so you can take another shot. In Web 111, Billy, who's oh, growing up so fast and looked like he was driving age during Secret Wars, it, is being buckled up like he's a five-year-old in a car seat <laughs> on, you know, on the airplane. And they're, like, telling him That's... how to behave. They put him in a backpack. 
on um Whoa. on the bounty hunter's back. <laughs> My like, gosh, he could fit in a backpack. Um, he's saved by Spider Man and put into Doctor Kafka's custody to like you know help him you know get over the trauma of being de-aged and put in a backpack. Um, we see Billy for a second in the super special for Spectacular Spider-Man during Planet of the Symbiotes. It's just him Ooh. and his mom on the couch. Wow. Ugh. In Spectacular yes. 238, Kurt has to kneel to, to talk to Billy. He has to get down on his hands and his knees. And, and, and his thought balloon is actually, wow, could Billy have grown that much since the last time I saw him? Does the <laughs> word grown mean shrink in the Marvel Universe? <laughs> um, but an iguana... An Iguana Man attacks them, and by the next issue, um, 239, Luke Ross has taken over. Billy has, I kid you not, shrunk again. And just like in issue six of Amazing, he's surrounded by, you know, reptiles. Um, but there's, like, a weird thing where, like, the lizard can control the reptiles psychically, and he's stopping them from attacking Billy, but he's drowning, so when he drowns, the control will be released and they'll kill him. But the day is saved. And uh, he kneels down to Billy once again after he's cured. In quality of life, both Billy and Martha get sick. But don't worry, Billy survives, because he'll always be alive. Martha doesn't. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Which brings us to Paul Jenkins' um, Spectacular Spider-Man number 11 through 13 called The Lizard's Tale. Um, I don't have nearly enough time to say why that story doesn't make sense and why it sucks. All you need to know about Billy in that story is he's staying with his aunts because, um, his aunt and uncle, because Kurt is kind of dealing with the whole death of Martha thing. He's kidnapped, once again, take a shot by the lizard. Who wraps, who, (sighs) and he looks like he's five years old at one point, like in that book. Um, He's de-aging. I know, yeah, he's de-aging. Kurt gets arrested on purpose because he wants to be in jail to, like, for self-punishment, and he has Spider-Man give a letter to Billy, who's now living with the ants. Um, But he's living with Kurt again, as of the Marvel Knights volume of Sensational Spider-Man, where um, he's turned into Little Lizard. Um, (laughs) Like, everyone's acting all feral for reasons too complicated to explain here, so Kurt Connors injects, you know, some stuff into Billy, which turns him into a Little Lizard. Someone shoots him, and the caption says, William Connors, 13 years old, dying of a gunshot. But the FF helped save him. Um, I don't know how he's 13. In issue 630 of Amazing, um, he looks like he might be about 13. I remember them referencing him being 11 at this time, but when I reread the story, I couldn't find where that reference was. But I remember thinking, good God, he was... He's 11 now. He was 13 in his last appearance. Um, but he's only allowed... Kurt is only allowed to visit Billy um, with, like, a court-ordered, you know, person watching them. Um, the fo- His foster family is killed, and the lizard goes after him in that awful story, and Billy looks at his dad and says, you're going to kill me. I knew it. I always knew it. And it's really horrifying, because Kurt Connors' narration is saying, no, stop, stop, don't do this. Yep. Um, and that was the end of Billy Connors. Man. Think he's coming back? Do we? Oh, like he, 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 oh, he came back about twelve um, to eighteen hours later, I think. If you know what oh. I'm saying. Oh, gross! <laughs> Do we like that he's dead or not? Like, how did you guys think about that? Uh, well, dude, just a horrible. So far up and down, they really don't know what's going on with him. He'll probably just pop up at some point, and they'll be like, "What? Yeah. <laughs> what? Yeah." <laughs> Aye, aye, aye. Let's, let's uh, wrap it up. I know Chris has got to go. Chris, real quick recommendations and final thoughts from you, sir. Oh, jeez. Um, uh, well, it's been a busy holiday. I'm busy getting calls here, so I, I guess I'm just going to have to 
I'll just, for recommendations, I'll just stick with the four food groups. Um, superior, <laughs> superior foes, uh, Thor, Hawkeye, and beer. Um, and beer, yeah. Yeah. Um, that's all I got. I got to go, guys. Have a good one. Thanks, man. Uh, thank you for the crawlies. You did awesome, by the way. Thank oh, you very much. Uh, I tried. Um, have, a, have a good night, everyone. Peace. Bye, Bye buddy. Okay, uh, recommendations. Uh, JR, what do you like this month? Uh, not a thing. Uh, I have no recommendations uh, and no final thoughts. Okay. Here's <laughs> opening statement. <laughs> J- <laughs> he recommends JR- marriage for 25 years. Yeah, there you go. Recommend marriage. Yeah, I sure do. Kevin, recommendations and your final thoughts, sir. Um, I I think I'm going to make my recommendations and my final thoughts one one synergistic thing. Nice. And that is, as far as reading comic books goes, follow your passions. Um, I'm more and more lately. I'm downsizing my pull list and buying more back issues. Um. I find myself. I've, I've kind of admitted that I really hate the way the the new Fifty Two is going in general. Oh, right. I don't enjoy it. Um, so I've, I was buying more of those, but I'm down to Nightwing and Justice League and, and Forever Evil. And if Nightwing dies, I'm done. Uh, period. And my Marvel list. I mean, my overall pull list is down from forty to about fifteen per month. Mm. And uh, I'm finding that you know it's it's that stuff that I always liked. It's the Midnight Suns, the the su- the supernatural stuff in Marvel uh, that I really love. So you know, it's like Christmas money and stuff. I've gone and you know I've finished off that Midnight Suns stuff. I've gotten all the Moon Knight series. I've gotten um I got the essentials of all the original Ghost Rider, Werewolf by Night, uh, Marvel horror stuff. Um and you know I'm I'm looking at that sort of thing and I, it's just you know I it's, it's at some point you need to stop the tide. I think of just keeping on buying all these new issues and see what you really care about. And I find myself a lot more happier in what I'm reading now. Yeah. And you just keep Spider-Man because you love being on the show. <laughs> well, honestly, I, I, I do find that I have yeah. a passion for Spider-Man alongside the Supernatural. It's like, you know, I go back and I read back issues of Spider-Man, too, and that crosses into the Supernatural stuff because he's in everything. Um, and I find that, you know, I enjoy seeing what Spider-Man was doing at a certain time. So uh, that's one of those that, uh, of the many regrets I have for my eBay auctions about a year ago, I regret all the Spider-Man I got rid of, and I realize I'll probably never get rid of another Spider-Man issue I have again. Oh, wow. All right, uh, let's see. Josh, recommendations, sir. All right, um, three comics for recommendations and warnings. Two recommendations. One, that is either a recommendation or a warning. You'll have to find out. Um I decided um, to read some of the old Marvel stuff pre-Fantastic Four, um, especially because, like, I I hear references to these characters who were around before the superheroes, like the comedy romance characters Millie the Model and Patsy Walker, who later joined the larger Marvel universe. So I read a lot of the Patsy Walker, Patsy and Hetty, and Millie the Model stuff, and don't expect Watchmen from these, but if you read them, you know, looking to have some fun with some dated comics... Um, and some ridiculous stuff, you know, you read them for the ridiculous factor, you will have fun. Like, Don and I were reading a story where um, Patsy Walker's boyfriend, who later becomes a villain that fights the Avengers, it's really weird, but, like, at the time he was just her Vietnam, you know, war boyfriend, he comes back from the war with PTSD, and everyone is treating PTSD like it's nothing. They're like, we must find out the secret to this mystery of why Buzz is acting so weird ever since he got wounded in Vietnam. What could be upsetting him? It's such a weird, silly mystery that we must get to the bottom of. 
And um, weird, merely the model stories, like where her rival, like the stupidest Marvel comic I have ever read, is where um, <laughs> Millie's rival Chili changes her haircut, and all of her close friends and coworkers do not recognize her for the duration of the story. They th- and she doesn't disguise herself; she doesn't wear a mask. She just changes her haircut, and they think that she's like a new applicant. I'm like, wow, this is, but it's fun. And um, in addition to those old books, I've been reading some old Lee Dicko stuff, um, pre-Spider-Man um, Amazing Fantasy, Amazing Adult Fantasy, and those are fun. And when you compare them to what else Marvel was putting out, like the stupid Millie the Model Patsy Walker stuff, like this stuff, you know, like was pretty good. And um, the third one, which is either a recommendation or a warning, back when Dan Slott was doing She-Hulk, I really liked it. I picked it up because Spider-Man was cameoing in it, and I knew she was marrying John Jameson. And at the time, I really liked Dan Slott's She-Hulk. And now um, I don't like Dan Slott's writing as much on Superior. Um, We've had the criticisms of it. So I was like, I wonder if I go back and read his She-Hulk run, how it's going to hold up. If it's going to, you know, like, if I'm going to notice all the things that annoyed me about Slot now, if if they were around back then. Within two or three pages of She-Hulk, I was like, oh, my God, this is one of the most brilliant comics I have ever read. (laughs) What happened to this Dan Slot? It's was really, really good. It's There's comedy, there's real emotion. One of my biggest complaints about Dan Slott now is that when human beings do something in his comics, you don't ask yourself, now what would happen next? What would the consequences of that be? You know, why are people behaving this way? In She-Hulk, they deal with consequences. Nope. And Bertone's, we're losing Bertone. And, and you know, the wacky trials there you are, are really funny. Oh, hello? There you Everybody are. You're back. to the limits. <laughs> Can you hear me? You wake up. Okay. Okay. Um, okay. How far did you lose me? Uh, about three hours ago. No, <laughs> no, for about three seconds. You're fine. Go ahead. Keep with your thought. Okay. Yeah. Well, yeah. Anyway. The other, okay. Well, I'll wrap up the She-Hulk recommendation, you know, so that someone else can go. But it's um, it actually deals with, you know, like real stuff. Like the first story arc dealt with um, a guy who got superpowers and, you know, um, a factory accident. And it looks like a supervillain origin, but then it turns out he wants to sue the company, you know, that did it to him. And it's just played very, very realistic with, like, how this affects his family, how this affects his finances, like his insurance won't take him. It's brilliant Dan Slott stuff. So um, I'd reread his old She-Hulk if you don't like what he's doing on Superior. Donovan. Okay. Um, I've been reading a lot of good comics. Um Mainly, you can find that out on the comics thread and the message boards. I'm basically going to uh, recommend this one thing, which is Christmas present I got from my parents, which is a nice surprise. The iPhone 5S. Uh, yeah. Very fun. It's uh, We live in the Star Trek age now. Uh, having fun uh, listening to podcasts, listening to music. Um, and what really made it is that like I was surprised that Brad didn't ask this year if anybody got any Spider-Man gifts for Christmas. Oh, well, that was your opportunity. Go ahead. I didn't. But... <laughs> the thing is, is like when, when uh, I first got the fu- fu- uh, iPhone, and my dad said, "You know, turn it on, boy," and I, I turned it on. The very first message I got was the crawl space gang wishing everybody a Merry Christmas, and, and I was like, well, "That's pretty awesome." Nice. So that, that's yeah. uh, that was a, that was a nice little memory there. Real quick, anybody get Spider-Man gifts? <laughs> no, no, I, I gave myself you know comics for from cash. My <laughs> sis. What? What, Josh? My sister got me um, an Amazing Fantasy issue 15 poster. 
Oh, my I sister got me like. an Amazing Fantasy 15 poster. That's hilarious. I got an Amazing Fantasy 15 poster for Christmas too. I I also got uh, some Spider-Man puzzles from Ava, and one of them has Thwip spelled correctly, like my license plate <laughs> on it. So that's kind of cute. Uh, what I got something else, Spider-Man. I got two puzzles. I, I my mom got me a little Doc Ock Spider-Man, uh, whatever the new version of Superhero Squad is. Mm. So those are on my desk. I'm looking at. Uh, Jr. You get uh, Spencer any Spider-Man stuff? Did he get uh, Lego Marvel like we were talking yes, about last month? Yes, yes, he did. Get, he did get Lego Marvel. Uh, I have not asked him how he's. Uh, he didn't start out playing. I haven't asked him if he's played it yet. He uh, he got several other video games, and uh, he kind of got distracted by those. So, uh, but that was primarily what he got was, uh, was you, video you, games. Did you get anything? I got a rock. <laughs> Charlie Brown over there. Oh, <laughs> uh, that's funny. Uh, let's see my recommendations. I think I got everybody, haven't I? Is yes. it my turn? Okay. Uh, let's see uh, a movie and two video games. Uh, I saw American Hustle. Over uh, Christmas break, thoroughly enjoyed it. It's uh, outstanding acting by four people I really like. Christian Bale is almost unrecognizable. I mean, it's he did a hell of a job. Has anybody seen the movie? Oh by yeah, the way? yeah, yeah, very good. You like it too, Kevin? Yeah, I'm just wondering which of the five great actors you're leaving off. I'm I'm waiting with the there's with five? breath here. Oh yeah, there's five in there. <laughs> Uh, Bradley Cooper was outstanding. Uh, Jennifer Lawrence just uh, shines on the screen and is very nice to look at. I also like to call her Mrs. Cushing. Uh, (laughs) So do I. (laughs) Uh, Amy Adams is outstanding. Uh, And uh, Hawkeye, uh, Renner was uh, great, too. Yeah, all the guys did a great job, but I I swear Amy Adams and Jennifer Lawrence kind of stole it. They really rocked it. I agree. And all of these, I think I put this on my Facebook, all of them have portrayed comic book characters, have they not? Jeremy Renner is Hawkeye, Bradley Cooper is Racket Raccoon, uh, Christian Bale is Batman, Jennifer Lawrence is Mystique, and who's the other one? Uh, Lois Lane. Amy Adams, Lois Lane. Lois Lane. They're all comic book characters. I never saw (laughs) Yeah, they're all all outstanding actors, great movie. just, I love the soundtrack, too. At one point, when Jeremy Renner and Christian Bale are singing Delilah by Tom Jones, my wife hit me in the kidney because I was singing with them. <laughs> you know the song, my, my, my Delilah. I, I love hear Tom Jones. Bale sing a, sing a song. I need to see this. Oh, dude, it was awesome. Just a great, great movie. And my wife said, you're singing in the theater. I'm like, oh, shit. <laughs> <laughs> I heard that they sing Live and Let Die in that. They do. Jennifer Lawrence does uh, yeah. wings. Yeah, she Look does at that. Like the 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 hairbrush singing along to it thing. Right. Jennifer Lawrence just is just a great actress. She's what twenty three years old. Mm-hmm. I hope she's around for a very long time. Yeah, she's got something uh, special. Yeah, to look at. Uh, <laughs> Not just that, Brad. I know the outstanding actress. <laughs> God damn it. <laughs> <laughs> uh, two video games I picked up with Christmas money. Ke- Kevin picked up comics. I picked up video games. Uh, <laughs> but I've got more eye hand coordination. That sounds bad. Uh-huh. Uh, <laughs> uh, the Last of Us on the PS3. Holy cow! This needs to be a movie ASAP. And I think there is talk of this. 
uh, end of the world, outstanding game. Chris isn't on the line anymore, but he also got that for Christmas. Him and I have just been talking. I'm pretty sure I've seen Stella post about that on Facebook, loving it. Does Stella love the, the video game, too? I feel I like I've that. seen that. If you have a PS3, it's a PS3 exclusive. Pick it up. Outstanding, outstanding video game. Graphics are amazing, which makes me wonder how good can the PS4 be because I'm still impressed as hell off the PS4. Our friend Gerard got a PS4. He's been loving the Marvel uh, video game, uh, the Lego Marvel that Spencer got. But uh, just great graphics. The other video game I picked up with Christmas money is um, uh, Grand Theft Auto V. <laughs> uh, damn. Yeah, that's that's a pretty game too. The opening scene is in the snow where you're running from cops. Um, beautiful graphics, beautiful, just beautiful game. I've never beaten a Rockstar game before. I hope I beat this one. I never beat Grand Theft Auto Four, but um, I'm looking forward to playing this one. All right, gang, that's a wrap. I appreciate you all. I'm looking forward to more podcasts in 2014 with you. Thank you Likewise. very much for having us. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, you're going to get number 300 this year, aren't you? I am. I am. Hope you like my ish episode 300 more than amazing, JR. <laughs> we hit 300 by well, well, oh, yeah, well. I released, I think, 70 episodes in 2013. Didn't I? Well, yeah, those, I, those uh, Friday Night Fights are really going to be pumping up the numbers, aren't they? Yeah, yeah, for that, for that. 